Hi, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Great Baptist Church. We're going to have some people walk in late today, but that's all right. Um, my first and foremost announcement is that Phil and Pam did actually get married. Congratulations to them. It was wonderful to see uh, all of our Shower Friday cooks and things together. That was that was special. Um, I mean, you getting married is special too, but <laughs> the people, yeah, both and. Um, <clears throat> we're going to stay in prayer for the folks in Florida dealing with Hurricane Ian and the aftermath there. Uh, if you would in any way like to volunteer, uh, we need you. So Louisiana. Baptist Disaster Relief has been assigned to Fort Myers. And if you're following the news, that is the ground zero. Um, so if you want to respond, we need people for um, to help folks take showers, to help pass out water and food, to help make the food in the first place. Um, and then also, if you're feeling hardcore, you could do uh, some chainsaw work or you could do some flood relief, might not work. Um, so whatever it is you feel comfortable doing, we would be more than glad to to have you volunteer. So if you want to volunteer for that, um, and it's any and all days that you would have available, you, you do have to get yourself there. Um, I might be able to help you and hook you up with a crew that is already on the way uh, if you don't have transportation, but um, it would be, you have a place to stay, you have meals, you have work to do already set up for you. All you need to do is just go. Um, so if you want to do that, you can come talk to me. And uh, they are anticipating if you're not if you're not able to just up and go this week, they are anticipating working there uh, at least until Thanksgiving. So if you want to shuffle some things around and make plans with work, you can go um, around you know all the way up until then and, and do a whole lot of good for some folks that are really hurting right now. Um, and we'll we'll keep them in our prayers as we go. Uh, also praying about Meg and Adam's ship family, Elma. Uh, they're all sick right now. So we'll pray for them and, and for Mama Rose as well. Um, October 10th, sorry, a lot of announcements this morning. October 10th, uh, my work, my other, other work is doing what's called the fall meeting, the uh, New Orleans Baptist Association fall meeting. Uh, this is our biggest event of the year. Uh, usually there's pastors and people from about, from about 200 different churches there. Uh, it is a really super encouraging time uh, to worship together with a bunch of believers, especially for us who are in small churches. That can be really encouraging just to remember we're not alone, right? And that there are other believers uh, in and around our area. But I'm also excited. So just for that, I would be excited. Plus, there's a free meal. Um, but even more than that, I'm very excited for our speaker uh, his name is Matt Emerson. He is uh, one of the co-founders of something called the Centers for Baptistic Renewal. So if you, uh, if you thought any of our work in Proverbs where we were kind of hearkening back to the early church uh, or the, in the medieval church, if you were interested in any of that, uh, that is his primary academic area of focus. And he's going to be talking about what he has seen throughout church history that would be useful for churches today to recover uh, and be using either in practice or in theology or in liturgy what is useful for um, for churches today from church history. So I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there with bells on. Feel free to join me. Uh, that's October 10th. It's at Williams Boulevard Baptist Church in Kenner. Uh, if you were at the wedding, same place. <laughs> so now you know how to get there. Uh, other announcements, just general announcements. Uh, Shower Friday, if you're experiencing homelessness or if, uh, if you're experiencing any kind of need, you can meet us at Armstrong Park at 7. Uh, also, there's a need for volunteers. If you want to volunteer, you can talk to Phil about how to do that. Uh, Pastor Phil in the back there. And, um, and uh, thank you, by the way, to Lewis and Joshua and many others who went through. We literally had clothes piled on tables from this end of the room to the all the way back. Uh, on Friday and yesterday, they spent their Saturday um, <clears throat> here at the church going through all those clothes and making sure that we could all sit comfortably, not surrounded by a mountain of clothes this morning. So thank you guys for that. 
Um, and then small groups. So small groups on Tuesday and Wednesday night. Uh, this week, Tuesday nights at my house, uh, Wednesday nights here at the church. They both kind of start at 6, and then we'll get started really uh, with content at 6.30. So come at 6 and kind of um, uh, live life with some folks, and then we'll get started right at 6.30. Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday at my place, Wednesday here. Am I missing anything? Anyone? Lewis, any other announcements? Okay. All right. So if that's it, we can get started. Know what you're thinking? We're not started yet? No. This is it right now. Um, let's pray. Father God, I pray that you'd be here with us this morning. Lord, that you would send your spirit in a special way. God, we know that you are everywhere at all times. God, that you never leave us. Lord, would I ask that you would dwell with us this morning. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to leave behind uh, things that distract us throughout a week. God, all the emotions that we take into a gathering like this. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to focus on your truth. Lord, that you would allow us to be shaped and formed by your spirit this morning. That no one would leave unchanged. God, that whatever you're trying to teach us, whatever you're drawing us into, God, that we would follow. <clears throat> God, I pray as we sing and read scriptures and pray together, God, that you would be in and through everything that we do. God, so that we don't do it in vain. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. 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 All right. Welcome. Hey, Russell. <coughs> Usually in our services around this time, uh, our liturgist, Meg, gives a beautiful explanation of where we are at in the liturgical year and uh, what we're focusing on. And unfortunately, this morning you get none of that because she's feeling ill this morning. So we'll, we'll remember to pray for her. And, and uh, this morning, all you get is me reading some of these beautiful prayers that she wrote, and then we're going to uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. The sermon is also on the Lord's Prayer, so let's listen intently to it this morning as we dwell on, on these scriptures. But um, if you would humor me, I'm going to boss you around a lot today. I'm sorry. Um, if you would humor me, if you would stand up uh, in honor of the Word of God and reading it, and if, as we read and pray, Joshua, whenever you're ready. Good morning, church. Good morning. I'll be reading from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did. And I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Calling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, your faith that lived first in your grandmother Morris and your mother Eunice. Now I am sure they will be. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of power, but rather a spirit of power and and self-discipline. Do not be ashamed, then, to testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. For I know the power of God, the Savior, the Apollos, and the Holy Father, not according to the work, according to his own purpose and grace. This grace is given to us in Christ Jesus for the end of the day. And it has now been revealed to the spirit of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death. Thank you. 
Faithful God, in whom we put our trust, you are with us in the blessings of our ancestors in the faith, in the presence of your spirit within and among us, in the newness of your mercies, which never, ever fail. But we see only our affliction and our failure, our division and isolation, our suffering and our shame. Forgive us, O Lord. Rekindle within us the gifts of your grace that we may call to mind your steadfast love and encourage one another with faith and joy. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Through him you are forgiven, you are welcomed, you are loved. Let us rejoice together and give praise to the Lord, guarding the good treasure entrusted to us with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Father God, the refuge of wanderers and exiles, the mother and father of the homeless, you weep with those who are uprooted from their homeland, and you suffer with those who exist without shelter and security. Grant that your faithful love may reach out, and that your healing mercy rise like the dawn on all who are oppressed. We ask this through Jesus, your Son, who knew, who knew hardship and died outside the city walls. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. And please pray with me as the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
sides of that is just the way in which, despite how people on earth can forsake us, God never does, and that He is consistent and faithful to forgive, that we pray. And even though He knows all things, and He alone can fully understand where we're coming from, He loves to give us good gifts. And as we think about that, let's uh, speak of mercy and forgiveness.
died a death in our place to pay for the sins that separate us from you. I pray that you'd be with us here in this moment today. And I thank you so much for how you sent your son, Jesus, not only to pay the price that we could, but also to teach us, to give us prayer, um, which is something that many find difficult. You gave us an example. Uh, God, we thank you for all that you are. I pray that we would focus on you this morning. In your name, amen. amen. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Please go with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. Someone will bring one to you. That's Luke chapter 11. We start in verse 1. Good morning. I want to start this morning telling you a little bit of where I've been the past two weeks. Uh, Lewis made a comment when I walked in. Last Sunday, I told him that Cameron was preaching. He goes, what do we pay you for? <laughs> so I wanted to give an account of myself, if only for Lewis, so that he doesn't uh, defund me here. I, uh, I'm really grateful for Cameron preaching. For us last week, I, I spent the time I usually spend writing sermons and ministering here at the church, at another, at another church in town, uh, learning about something called TBRI, or Trust-Based Relational Intervention. Uh, it's a means of helping people who have experienced deeply difficult things heal from these, the effects of those experiences or those traumas. My main motivation is my kids. As a foster parent, I desperately long for my children to thrive, to be able to heal physically, mentally, emotionally, and every other way from things that they've experienced. But I'm learning more and more. We need these same tools for our church work as well. All healing is God's healing. We administer therapies, we put on bandages, and then we wait to see what the body will do. Incredibly to mend itself. Not a doctor in the world can really close an incision. We can bring two broken pieces together, but then we wait on the Lord for the actual healing. Not that I don't value doctors. I do deeply. I, I'm just saying their work is similar to mine in this way. I, I preach words I hope will be a balm to broken spirits. I wait for God to bring miraculous healing. He is so faithful to act that we can almost convince ourselves that we are the ones who bring healing. But it's never us. As doctors learn the best ways to allow our bodies to heal, my hope in attending these trainings is that I can learn ways to prop up the people in my life who have experienced trauma like a splint on a broken leg, on a broken leg, and then wait for the Lord, that God might heal my children, that God might heal my friends. My plan is to begin teaching these methods to the church, both in our children's ministry and for our ministry to people experiencing homelessness. So thank you for allowing me the time last week and the week before to focus on and learn something new. I'm excited for what God's going to do in and through that work to heal hearts and and minds that need mending. We've been in the book of Proverbs for several weeks, but today we're going to make a shift to allow the Bible to inform and speak into a very important Christian practice. And God willing, we'll be on this topic until the season of Advent. I know, I know, I've made those promises before, um, but I'm, and I'm usually very stick to the plan about these things, but Robin and Phil have been praying for me to be more spirit-led. Lewis has as well, I know. Um, so I want to talk to you this morning about a very important Christian practice that I'm afraid that I know shocking, shockingly little about. But God has been very clear in recent weeks that this is where we're supposed to go with the sermon. So I, I feel a little awkward preaching about it just because I know very little about it myself. But I want to spend our time between this morning and Advent talking about prayer. It's a little embarrassing for me to admit, if I'm honest, as a pastor, that I know very little about prayer. And to go even further, I will admit to you that it has always been a struggle for me, both emotionally and mentally, intellectually. Emotionally speaking, I am just not a talker. I know I talk a lot at church, it's because people expect me to talk here, um, 
But in truth, if I'm comfortable with you, we're not going to talk to each other. I have tried, but if I'm struggling with something and you ask me, hey man, do you want to talk about it? From a very deep place in my soul, the answer is no, I don't. <laughs> Usually I want to run about it or cry about it or scream about it or eat or drink or do dishes or garden about it. So communion makes sense to me. Communion is a practice that I can get behind. Prayer never has. My best prayers, if I'm honest, where I look back and actually believe the prayer worked, and we're going to get to that. What does that mean, right? If the prayers were answers, were answered, we'll talk about that as well. Those prayers were mostly, for me, silence, mixed usually with tears and screaming. My practice and discipline of prayer has waxed and waned throughout my life as well. Right now, with all the kids and the two jobs, a lot of my prayer is distracted or interrupted or in transit. Intellectually, too, I've always struggled with prayer in two different ways. First, just staying focused. I don't know if anybody else shares this struggle. Just, uh, just being focused. I, if I try to pray for long periods of time, my mind drifts. I get distracted. It feels like wasted time when, when time is so precious and scarce in my life right now. Secondly, I struggle intellectually in light of the omniscience of God. It's kind of like my own little private problem of evil, my, my emotionally stunted version of that classic apologetic conversation. If God is good and he is all-knowing, then what good is it telling him about my day and everyone's problems? What is that really going to do? Doesn't he already know that? Wasn't he listening in the Sunday school class or in the small group just now when we all said our prayer requests to each other? Was he not there for that? Do we need to repeat them with our eyes closed? Is that some magic formula to get God to pay attention? Isn't our infinite loving God already paying attention? And doesn't he already know my heart on these things? Amen. And my intellectual struggles with prayer bleed into my emotional struggles to create a cynicism that I'm sure you can even hear in my tone this morning. A cynicism where I turn critical of other people's prayers. When the truth is, I probably have a lot to learn from the people I'm criticizing. So when the disciples in our passage come to Jesus and they ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. I am so with them in this. I need to be taught how to pray. I am encouraged and challenged by this passage today. So let's read it together, and then we'll learn together better how to pray. Luke chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine's arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. He's going to answer from within, Don't bother me, my door is shut. And my children are in bed with me. I, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me briefly. Father God, I pray as I always do. Lord, just that you would show us your truth your word today. God, because we know your truth will set us free in every way. God, we desperately long to be free. I 
pray this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. First thing I want you to notice in the passage this morning is the way the disciples ask their question in verse 1. They bring up John the Baptist. Did you notice that? Why are they bringing up John the Baptist? I would encourage you in your study of the Bible to ask questions like that, to get curious, to pursue answers and chase the why. So they bring up John the Baptist. And earlier on in the book of Luke, the Pharisees asked Jesus, hey, the disciples of John fast and offer prayers, and so do our disciples. But yours eat and drink. And again, later on, Jesus is called a drunkard and a glutton. Over and over again, Jesus, who is God incarnate, is compared to other pastors and accused of not being godly enough. We always think of Jesus being our model, our example of godliness, and so he is. But you have to realize that in his day, and in many places in our day, Jesus was considered one religious teacher among many, and he was regularly criticized for not being holy enough. Not being godly enough. Another thing you have to remember is that several of Jesus' disciples came from John. They came from following John the Baptist. Remember the baptism of Jesus. John encourages his followers. He says, go follow after Jesus. And then later when John's executed, even more followed him. John was extreme. This dude lived in the desert. He wore sackcloth. Dude ate bugs or nothing at all for long periods of time, and he had dreads, and he spoke truth to power and was killed for it. John is the patron saint of all the hardcore Christians who have tattoos and live incarnationally and are drawn to the grit and the struggle of our faith. With how many people like that are drawn to our church? I think we should install an icon of John the Baptist right there on the closed closet door, right? It would be appropriate. But my point is, compared to John, compared to the Pharisees with their lawyers and their rule books to a lot of people, Jesus was seen as a bit licentious, meaning he wasn't very strict. And he didn't ask much of his disciples. In fact, he mostly serves them and teaches them and pours into them. <clears throat> to speak in his own terms, Jesus' burden was light. And that drove a lot of people crazy. To speak from their perspective, here's this great miracle worker, seemingly able to heal any disease, super compelling teacher, and he doesn't even take it seriously, they would say. To the Pharisees, he probably seemed like the guy who shows up to class twice and blows off the reading, and yet still aces the class, you know? So usually when his disciples compare Jesus to John, or when the Pharisees accuse him of lawlessness, usually when that happens, Jesus rebukes them. Sometimes his rebuke is so harsh that he publicly embarrasses them, just like he's about to do with the Pharisees in the next chapter from the chapter we just read. This time, though, this time, when his disciples come up and say, Hey, John used to pray all the time. Why don't you teach us how to pray? Jesus doesn't rebuke them at all. In fact, Jesus agrees to let them join him in this discipline. He tells them they ought to pray. He places this burden upon them, but it is a surprisingly light burden. I find all of this super encouraging. One, I'm encouraged that people didn't think Jesus was godly enough. I'm encouraged by that. I don't know if you are. I, if they judged him, if, if people judged him, I don't stand a chance. And so, I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> the haters going to hate, you know? T-Swift tried to tell us. She speaks truth. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Um, but if they're going to hate Jesus, they're going to hate me too. And that's freeing for me. It means I don't have to try to please everyone. I can just focus on pleasing the Lord. And he's abounding in steadfast mercy and love. In grace. It also means that prayer is not meant to be a heavy burden. It's meant to do something in which we can delight and find life. What is prayer? in your life. Is it kind of like jogging, where you know it'll make you healthier, but at what cost? You know? Um, is it kind of like you're on a treadmill performing, but not really going anywhere? Is uh, prayer in your life a dull necessity, or is it life-giving? 
Is it a light burden of Christ? Is the burden light and joy-filled? Like when I put one of my kids on my shoulders. Jesus responds in our passage in two ways to this request. He gives them a prayer. He gives them a prayer to pray. I think that's important. We're going to come back to that later on in the series. But he gives them a prayer, and then he tells them a story, a parable. And if you misunderstand the story, hear me, if you misunderstand the story, you are going to misunderstand the prayer. I know some of you have been praying this prayer your whole lives, but if you misunderstand this parable that he tells afterwards, you're going to misunderstand the prayer as well. So he gives them a prayer, and he tells them a story. I know a lot gets lost in translation, but key to understanding this parable is a simple truth so often forgotten about our Savior. Simple truth is, Jesus is hilarious. So let me try to retell this parable and try to recover some of the humor that gets lost in translation and gets lost in our piety as we gather in the morning to, to talk of Jesus. So this is the parable. So it's the middle of the night, right? And my friend shows up in my house, wakes me up, and talks about how he just got off the road and he needs something to eat. And I didn't have any food. But he would not let me go back to sleep again. <laughs> so I went over to my brother's house next door, and now I'm knocking. <laughs> hey! Gee, Graham! Wake up! I need a snack! My friend is hungry! I don't know about your brother. I don't know how he relates to you. My brother? There is no way he's answering that door. <laughs> he's going to shout at me and be like, Dude, are you serious right now? Get your own food. It is the middle of the night. But you know what I do? I just keep on knocking <laughs> till he opens that door. And uh, even if it's to, you know, throw me a, a bag of Cheez-Its and slam the door in my face and tell me we're going to talk about this later, right? Like, he's never inviting me over to his house again, at least not for like two weeks, right? Um, and Jesus says in this, us praying to God is kind of like that. Have you ever considered how little right, how little standing we have to bring our issues, our problems to God? Do you realize how the, the word they use is either persistent, or I love the ESV in this, how impudent it is for us to show up before the throne of God and ask him about our things? And I know, I know he invites us, we're going to get there, but just live in this moment for a second. How are we going to come to the creator and upholder of the universe with our things? We knock, we're knocking on that door. Like when I was a kid, one time my parents told me I prayed for an A on my spelling test. And it's like, are you serious? Are you seriously gonna go knock on the door of the creator of the universe? In the middle of the night, the king of kings and lord of lords. And you need a snack, so you're gonna go knock on his door. Think about trying to get food from King Herod in the middle of the night, roll up to the temple palace and just start knocking. Hey, I'm hungry. Give me food. Are you serious? Are you insane? He is going to throw you out of his kingdom so fast that you're not even going to be able to see the castle anymore from where you're sitting. God wants you, though. God is not like that. God wants you to come knock on his door. Even if it's in the middle of the night, God's door opens every time, and he invites us in. Why? Because he's not just our king. He's also our father. And he loves us. But I need you to realize the insanity of us bringing our small lives to him. To allow you to see his grace and mercy in inviting us to do just that over and over again. You come to him scared in the middle of the night like a child with nightmares and you wake him up. And he's going to hold you again until you can sleep. He is a good father. He wants to know your needs, even if all you need is a snack. Even if your friend came home from a journey and you need food because you don't have any. He is a good father. He wants to know your needs, even if you need him to help you with your spelling words. Or come watch your soccer game. He wouldn't miss it for the world. 
Whatever it is you think you're seeking, what you really want is Him, His Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and He's going to make sure that you find Him every single time you come. So Jesus teaches us to pray like this to the ruler of the universe. He knocks on His door and He says, Father, I wish the world were already done and your kingdom were come. Father, I'm hungry here in the dark. Will you give me bread? Father, I'm up in the middle of the night because I've realized that I am tempted or I have sinned. Will you sit with me in the darkness that I've created? And Jesus says, no matter how many times you come to the Lord knocking, no matter how many times you ask him these questions, knock and the door will be opened. Even if you knock in the middle of the night, the answer is yes. Yes, I still love you. Yes, sweetie, I can get you some food. I'm sorry you got hungry. Yes, I do want you to tell me about it. Yes, I will hold you again until you are calm. Yes, I will sit with you in the dark night of your soul over and over again. Every time we knock, this passage tells us the door opens. Yes. Over and over again, every time we look for our Father in heaven, we find him because he wants to be found yeah. by us. And he has what we need because he is a good Father. Friends, so often we do not have because we do not ask. Amen. And we do not ask because we do not think that our Father cares enough to open his door to us in the middle of the night. So we sit alone, afraid of the darkness of the world, the darkness of this life. When God is waiting, wanting to be found, ask him. Ask him for what you need. Tell him that you're afraid. Go to him when you're tempted or when you sin, and let him sit with you through that night. The passage opens with an assurance that God wants us to ask him for something as simple as daily bread. The food and the things we need just to make it through. But then the passage closes with an assurance, as Jake was talking about earlier, that our Father delights us, delights in giving us not just what we need, but He delights in giving us good gifts. As a father, I feed my children daily bread. Grits for breakfast, beans and rice for dinner. That's that's what you're looking at at our house, just so you know. Um, <coughs> I also delight in giving them the best that I can sometimes. For Noah, it's ice cream. Ice cream! <laughs> for AJ, very unfortunately for me, his favorite food is steak. Um, we grilled out yesterday. I bought one steak and we split it as a family. <laughs> um, but I want to give them good things, just as a gift. Because I love them. And their delight is my delight. God wants you to ask because he loves you. And doing things for you is a delight for him. Just like it is for me with my kids. I've noticed as a pastor, most people really understand the father part of this prayer. And what I mean by that is that we tend to approach the Lord in prayer, assuming about him that he will respond to us in whatever way our fathers responded to us growing up. Some people did not have fathers. Some people were abused. And I mostly see them avoiding any interaction with God altogether, keeping their distance. I know other people whose parents were exacting. It was less, hey, do your best, and more, I expect your best, and your best better be good enough. Usually those people assume the Lord is waiting above them with some kind of rod, just waiting for mistakes. The idea of the omnipresence of God in that case feels like the nightmare of a parent from whom you have no privacy. Far from knocking on their father's door in the middle of the night, they think that they have to hide, that they have to jump through hoops for God to be pleased, that they have to earn his affection as if you could, as if he adopted you for your character instead of his. And if they think they've made a mistake, they alternate between avoiding the Lord altogether because they don't want to deal with the mistake that they've made, they're scared of him, or coming to him racked with guilt. Other people, a lot of people in our society, with all of our busyness, who were raised provisionally, who were told, so long as you have everything you need, please don't bother me. So long as you're not bleeding, 
please stay in the backyard. Anybody else get that? Yeah. Um, a lot of us approach the Lord only as a last result. We don't bring him our daily cares. We don't bring him our delights. We don't lean on him until we are exhausted or broken. We bring him our emergencies. We pray about other people who are the ones who, quote, really need it. We don't seek him in the night when we are afraid of the darkness of the world around us. And we sit and tell ourselves, we're fine. <clears throat> and it's not being silly. And we will involve God if we get in over our heads, not admitting to ourselves that we were born into a world that's over our heads already. I want to encourage you when you pray, our God is a good Father. You don't need to avoid Him. And He's not waiting to find fault with you. If He's waiting at all, He's waiting like the Father of another of Jesus' parables, on the road, watching and waiting for His wayward child to come home, waiting to embrace us, waiting for the end of our rebellion. God wants you to come and knock, and as often as you do, that door will be opened. As often as you seek him, he will make sure that he is found. You can ask your father for things that you don't need. You can tell him about things that happened to you, things that you're anxious about. You can wake him up just because you're scared. He loves you. He is a good dad. So often our prayers look more like Honestly, they look more like the prophets of Baal, if you know this story, who cut themselves and shouted and wailed and danced all day to try to make their God pay up and pay attention. We try to muster up enough faith, or the right words, or the right intonation, or the right bargain to make God pay attention to us, or to make him pay out and do what we want him to do. We don't need to do any of that. In the rest of this series, we will answer questions, I know, questions that are on people's hearts and minds this morning, of why it doesn't always feel like God is listening. But what I'm arguing for today is faith enough to know that God loves you and that he will open that door when you knock. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek him and you will find him. Through this series, because we're talking about prayer, I, I want to use the closing prayer that we always pray after every sermon as a means of responding, all of us, to what the text is preaching this morning. So today, I want to ask you, I've warned you, I was going to try to box you around, uh, which is funny because I'm the guy in church that's like, worship leaders, like, raise your hands. And I'm like, nope, put them down, you know. <laughs> um, but I want to ask you, if you will, if you will humor me, um, today to shift your posture a little bit. Either bow in your seat or get on your knees. We have kneelers up here or you can just do it at your seat or just shift your posture in some way and close your eyes and, and center focus on what we're praying about this morning. And I'm just going to walk through that prayer that we prayed in, in the passage. <coughs> I'm going to be silent a few times. Father, hallowed be your name. God wants you to tell him how you feel about him, the things that he has done in the world. In the end, he is good and worthy of all praise. So maybe you can say together with all the saints, hallowed be thy name, but this morning is not the end. So it's okay this morning if your first words cannot be honestly to praise the Lord. It's okay if you have doubts. I have doubts. It's okay if your relationship with him is broken. My relationship with him is broken. Will you pray this morning and honestly tell our Lord this morning, honestly tell God who he is to you and what he means to you this morning. And seek to admit to yourself that he, in the end, is good. says your kingdom come. When you realize that if you were longing for a world in which people don't get sick, they don't die, they don't leave, or you are exactly who you were created to be, a world where there's peace and justice for every people, 
one where you were completely known every sin, every mistake, every joy, and you were still completely loved. If you were longing for that world, you were longing for the kingdom of God, and your heart will be restless until you find your rest in him. Can you pray now and tell our Father what it is this morning that your heart is truly longing for? says, give us each day our daily bread. Y'all, it is okay to knock on his door. He will answer you every time. What do you need, child? Yes, what do you need? And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in Life Together, many Christians would be unimaginably horrified if a real sinner were suddenly to turn up among the pious. So we remain alone in our sin, trapped in lies and hypocrisy, for we are in fact sinners. Will you admit today that you have made mistakes just like everyone else, that we are all real sinners, and choose today to confess to the Lord your sin and be forgiven rather than live life alone. And lead us not into temptation. <coughs> I am so sorry, my friends, that this world is so hard and that there are nights that are so dark. Can we admit to each other today that we have been scared, that we are tired, and that we need the Lord to give us rest? Lord, we need you. Dear Father, is such a good father. Lord, we need you. We need you to forgive us, each and every one of us. Lord, we need to be able to come to you with our small things, God, small in comparison to the grandeur of who you are, God, but they are not small to you. We are small to you like, like little children in my household, God. You love us and you will open the door every time. God, I pray that you would give us boldness to come and knock. God, to seek you so that you will be found. God, thank you for loving us enough to always open the door to us. God, please teach us to know that we cannot always have what we want, Lord, that we do not always know what we need because we are the children and you are our Father. But to realize and know beyond shadow of a doubt that you are good that your name is hallowed, Lord, that you do good things. And Lord, along with the disciples, we pray and say that, Lord, teach us how to pray. Pray all this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. Thank you. Please respond in whatever way you will. I'm going to be at the back if you want to pray with someone, or you can stand and sing.